Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Houston Astros 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we finally got one over the Houston Astros. We, uh, we actually have a chance now to win the Sunday finale and even up the series at two games apiece. We haven't lost a series since the All-Star break. We've been splitting all of these four-game series. So as bad and as rough as those first two games were, those Thursday and Friday night games, yes, the Astros offense exploded on us in those first two games. Quantrill in the bullpen absolutely dominate them in this one, absolutely keep them under control, and turn in a really strong performance here. And yeah, we win, you know, this day game, this Sunday getaway day, and it's an even series. And, you know, everybody goes home, split 2-2, and it isn't that bad. So let's see if we can get it done. But first, we got to talk about this game last night. Uh, it It was a fun game. It was probably one of those games that if you were there in the ballpark, uh, you have a ton of action early. A Guardian score everything in the first two innings. And then, man, you're just kind of sitting there riding that wave all the way to the end of the game. There wasn't too much offensively for you to get up and cheer about from uh, three through nine. But uh, I think you had enough pitching moments, especially once the bullpen took over. I thought that the uh, the set, well, really the sixth, because Quantrill does get into a little bit of trouble to start the sixth. So from the sixth inning on, at least you had some excitement with the pitching, right? Stefan striking people out. Karinchek striking people out. Kase does get into a little bit of trouble in the ninth, of course, because it's a non-safe situation. Why wouldn't he not get into a little bit of trouble? Uh, but I think at least you had some pitching to hold you over to the end of the game because the offense was cruising on that 4 nothing lead. All right, so let's get into it. How did they establish that 4 nothing lead? Well, it's an interesting lineup for Terry Francona. Quan uh, takes the day off with that bruised foot. You know, he hammered a ball off of his own foot uh, two days ago. So he takes the day off, which is fine. They, they still said he's not going on the IL or anything like that. He doesn't have a broken foot. They just gave him the night off. All right. So who does he move up to the leadoff spot? Does he take Miles Straw back to the leadoff spot? No. He finally finds a way to promote Andres Jimenez. And what does Andres Jimenez do? Reward him with two hits in the first two innings. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We've been asking for Andres Jimenez to get up higher in the lineup. Uh, I never expected him to be a leadoff hitter. But I guess in this situation with Quan getting the day off, it makes a lot of sense. You're not going to move Straw back up there. Obviously, Straw is perfectly fine, doing much better in the ninth spot in the lineup. Of course, you're not going to move him up there. So why not get Andres Jimenez as many at-bats as you can get him in the game? And then not only that, he figures out a way to get all three of those right fielders into the game. With Quan out, Benson can play left. Gonzalez stays out there on right. And Nolan Jones DHs. So, yeah, they figure out a way to get all three guys into this lineup. Uh, I'm actually, it's interesting. It's interesting that they're leaning more on Oscar Gonzalez than the other two. And that Jones is the DH and Gonzalez is out there in right field. I felt like they felt like 
Jones's defense was a little bit above Gonzalez's, but uh, from this, I would say maybe not. Maybe they do think Gonzalez is a little bit ahead of Jones when it comes to defense out there in right field. By the way, I just wanted to look at the splits for Miles Straw. Uh, when he was batting first, he was a 201 hitter this season with a 547 OPS. Now that he's hitting in the ninth spot, he's actually a 250 hitter in the ninth spot in the lineup. Uh, and he's got uh, his on basis higher, his slugging is a little bit higher, and uh, he's a 628 OPS from that ninth spot. Now, he's never going to be, he's not a power hitter, right? We're not expecting that. But a little bit more gap action, a few more doubles, um, and just keep that batting average going. Just whatever you can deliver in that ninth spot, get on base, and then start stealing bases and running the bases hard. And that's exactly, running the bases hard is exactly what the Guardians do in this game. So how did they score the runs? Let's get into the offense. Well, it's a little bit of hustle in this first inning from Ahmed Rosario. They talked about Rosario a lot in the postgame interview. Francona talked about him a lot. His defense was really solid on the day, and we'll get to a huge defensive moment for him in the eighth inning. But here, to kick off the game, it was hustle. He hits into a force out after Andres Jimenez singles a nice uh, swing and a low pitch to single to lead off the game. Uh, Ahmed Rosario would chop into a force out to third base, but he beats the throw down the line. They have to review it, but he beats the throw out at first base, and that would be huge because Jose Ramirez would rope a double into right field, 106.4 mile per hour exit velocity. Now, this is a spot that the ball doesn't make it into the corner. It doesn't roll all the way to the wall. It's actually cut off in right field. For most people, this is probably a long single, but Jose Ramirez is a hustle machine, and of course he's going to turn it into a double. And Ahmed Rosario also just running his butt off, and they, without question, wave. there's no hesitation, uh, there's no looking back over his shoulder. He gets the sign, and he just keeps firing, keeps running through third base, and comes around to score with no throw. It wasn't even challenged. Both Ramirez at second and Ahmed Rosario scoring on the play from first, I don't even think they made a throw. So that is just beautiful hustle to get a run early in the game. Uh, and then in the uh, second inning with two outs, Nolan Jones would single to lead off the inning. Benson would hit into a double play. So now there's two outs. Austin Hedges draws a walk. And then we just single him to death. Four singles in a row after that. Miles Straw shoots one back up the middle into center field. Austin Hedges moves up to second. Andres Jimenez would then ground one, chop one towards shortstop. He's probably going to be safe anyways, but Diaz, the shortstop, really rushes, really uh, tries to make a spectacular play, and just launches the ball into the camera bay. So uh, it brings in Austin Hedges to score. Straw goes a third. Jimenez moves up to second. Uh, they, he does get credit on a, as a single. The run scores on the error, so it's an unearned run that comes in. But he gets credit on the single because uh, he probably would have beat this out anyways. Like Diaz probably should have just picked this up and put it in his pocket. With two outs, the bases would have been loaded. It wouldn't have mattered because Ahmed Rosario comes up and he delivers a single into center field. Uh, does a really good job of taking a high pitch and just riding it out into center field. 
Sometimes, yeah, he was probably trying to ride it into the opposite field, a high pitch away as a perfect pitch to poke out in the right field for Ahmed Rosario. Occasionally, you get a little aggressive when you're trying to go to the opposite way and it ends up out in center field. That's how sometimes you take the pitcher's head off. Uh, when you're looking opposite way and you just square it up a little more than you meant to, that's kind of what happens here. And he shoots it out into center field and it brings in both runs to score. Uh, Straw and Jimenez come in to score. Ramirez would deliver a single, so it'd be four in a row. would put runners on the corner, but unfortunately, Naylor would ground out to end the threat there. But still a really, really solid offensive inning. And that was it. That was all the Guardians needed offensively. I mean, they get a few runners on here and there. Another straw single. And uh, Oscar Gonzalez, two-out single in the fifth. Um, and then uh, in the eighth inning, they do uh, threaten a little bit. But Austin Hedges would strike out with men on. And yeah, I, I mean, they really, really cruise on those four runs throughout the rest of the game. So that's the big storyline offensively. It's a nice little rally to kick things off against Garcia, who would settle down after that. He would last six innings. Um, Wasn't really hard hit a ton, but, I mean, it was enough. And it was a lot of those singles in that second inning weren't hard hit balls, but they were definitely some really nice swings, some really nice at-bats for those Guardians hitters, and of course, turning the lineup over. Going nine to the top of the lineup, being able to turn the lineup over, actually eight and nine getting on base, and turning it over to the top of the lineup to deliver some RBI hits, that is always a recipe for success. We love seeing that on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. So good stuff from the offense. Now on the pitching side of things, the other storyline of the game, Cal Quantrill didn't have that inning. He never had that inning. He didn't give up any home runs in this game, really limited home runs. It shouldn't come as too much of a shock because his splits are really, really good when he's pitching at home in progressive field. In home games, he is now 6-0 on the season on 12 starts, as opposed to the road where he's 2-5 and in 9 starts. He's got a 3.16 ERA at home as compared to a 4.96 ERA on the road. Uh, his whip on the road is 1.59. His whip at home is 1.08. So yeah, definitely does a really good job of pitching at Progressive Field. Does give up a few home runs at Progressive Field. He's given up 10 home runs at home as compared to only 6 on the road. But like we said, he has made 3 more starts at home than compared to the road. So some of these counting numbers might be a little bit skewed. He's also pitched way more innings. He's lasted deeper into games at home than he has on the road. So that's definitely another thing that contributes to the 10 home runs given up at home. Uh, Yeah, yeah, he's done a really, really good job pitching at Progressive Field. I would imagine if we get into some kind of playoff series, uh, that you would want to set Cal Quantrill up so that he was pitching at home, right? I mean, the numbers are right there for you, Terry Francona. You would probably want to set it up like that. So how does he do it in this game? Well, he does it in Cal Quantrill style. He doesn't, it's not a ton of strikeouts. There were a couple of nice ones uh, mixed in there. He gets four strikeouts on the day. He goes six innings, gives up only three hits, no runs, a walk, four strikeouts, on only 85 pitches, 
And they really got him out of there. He probably could have gone another inning, but they got him out of there after six. They had a nice lead. Uh, he only gives up five hard-hit balls on the day. A ton of ground ball outs. He is a ground ball pitcher. And, you know, that sinker two-seamer, uh, it's not shocking that he gets a lot of ground ball outs. On the season so far, he's averaging a 42.6% ground ball rate. A 26.1 fly ball rate, a 23.4% line drive late, rate, line drive rate, and a 7.9% pop-up rate. So most of the time, the majority of the time, he's getting ground balls. Uh, and that's exactly what he does on this game. He records eight ground ball outs to two fly outs. Uh, and his pitches, he was just being really aggressive with that uh, sinker. Uh, it's not a great player breakdown numbers here, not huge CSW numbers. But when we look at the illustrator here, he was kind of, uh, he was up a lot on this game, surprisingly working up a lot on the game with the cutter and the two-seamer, the sinker. Uh, the sinker, though, he was throwing to uh, both sides of the plate. Really off all, all four quadrants, not so much down and away. There's a couple down and away to the glove side. Uh, for Quantrill, most of it, he likes to pound the arm side of the plate with that sinker. Uh, likes to throw the cutter to the glove side of the plate. That's pretty much what we have here, but he does, he's, he really works both sides of the plate with that sinker in this game. Uh, he was working ahead in the count a little bit more than we saw from the rookie Hunter Gaddis yesterday, so that definitely helped out. Um, and then his player breakdown page, it wasn't, like I said, a huge CSW numbers. He threw the sinker a ton, 56% of the time where he was throwing that sinker, um, 48 compared to 24 cutters, and then just a few change-ups, a few curves, and a few four-seam fastballs. Uh, he didn't get a, he only had three whiffs on the day, three whiffs on the entire day. It's an 8% whiff rate. He did get 11 called strikes on that two-seamer, so he was locating it. 18 called strikes total on the day. Definitely saved his CSW number, a 25% CSW total on the day. Uh, and they only put the sinker and the cutter in the play in play. They never put his changeup curve or fastball in play on the day. But off that sinker, they put it in play 12 times, and it's only an 88.2 average mile per hour exit velocity. So a good job of getting those ground balls, inducing weak contact. And, uh, you know, he had a guy on here and there, but uh, really limiting the damage. A two-out walk in the first, and then he gets Bregman into a force-out. Uh, strikes out Altuve to actually kick off the game, which definitely, that will always prop the, pop the crowd. Uh, strikes out Trey Mancini in the second. So the guy who tortured the rookie yesterday goes down to the strikeout in the second inning. Um, yeah, just really, really, you know, maybe one runner on here, one runner on there, never gives up two base runners in an inning. And then that sixth inning comes around, and yeah, he throws a high sinker to Jake Myers, and yeah, he laces it off the wall for a leadoff double in that sixth inning. A 99-mile-per-hour exit velocity, 372 off the base of the wall. But then he comes back and gets ground out, ground out, and then strikes out Jordan Alvarez, to end it, to strand that runner at third base. It'd be the final batter that Quantrill would face on the game. And how did he do it? What was the pitch combo? Well, he starts him off with a curveball in the dirt. He probably was not expecting first pitch curveball, but he throws it in the dirt. 
Then he goes change up down, and he misses with that one as well. So he's in the hole 2-0 uh, with that runner at third base, and he figures, you know what? I don't know, him or Hedges figures, you know what? Those pitches aren't working. Let's go with the pitch that works. It's the two-seam sinker. Let's just throw four of those in a row. So he throws one at the top of the zone, gets the call strike, throws another one, misses high with it. Uh, it is a uh, it's a 3-1 count now. Throws him one right, ooh, right down the pipe for the left-handed hitter, Alvarez. This is one he wants back. A 94-mile-per-hour two-seamer right down the pipe that he fouled off. And then he goes back up. He challenges him high at the top of the zone. And for some reason, even though he just saw three of these pitches in a row, you would think he was locked into the two-seamer. Maybe something told him that when he gets to a full count, this is the pitch he likes to use. I don't know why, but he freezes him with a sinker at the top of the zone for a called strike three on a full count with a runner sitting there at third base. And that's how Quantrill ends things. He was pumped up. Uh, the crowd was pumped up, and it was a great way to end the day for Cal Quantrill. Maybe that's why Francona went to the pen. He figured he couldn't get a better ending on the day for Cal Quantrill. So he never has that inning. And then the bullpen goes to work. Uh, Trevor Steffen with two strikeouts. Karen check with two strikeouts. And Classe, of course, of course, with the ground balls. Uh, what else would you expect from Classe in the ninth inning? So how did Karen check, or how did, I'm sorry, Stefan, let's start with Stefan. How did he get his two strikeouts? Well, uh, it starts off with a fastball to Trey Mancini. He blows him away at an 0-2 count with a 97.1 mile per hour fastball up and away. It is in the strike zone. So uh, he, do, he doesn't swing at it. Oh, it's a called strike three. He freezes him. He locks him up with a high fastball. And then he gets Christian Vasquez swinging at the splitter. Oh, we love seeing that splitter down in the zone on an 0-2 count. Really, really, uh, really working. And he gave up a double here to Aldemus Diaz, but then really working to get Mancini and to strike out Christian Vasquez. And that's what makes Stefan so dangerous. Man, the strikeouts. That 97-mile-per-hour fastball to the 87, 88-mile-per-hour splitter it's nasty, those two pitches in combination. Uh, Karen check only one of his strikeouts is popping up here on StatCast, so I don't know where the other one was. But he strikes out Altuve on a curveball looking. He freezes Altuve with a curveball to end, uh, end the eighth inning. And he was fired up after striking out uh, Altuve. So it's a great job in the eighth inning from uh, Karinchek, but you know what? He Karinchek is just that guy where you're like, if he was on any other team, you would hate him. But since he's on our team, yeah, whatever, right? Like you, you know, you know he's he's got some opinions, right? He's he's got a personality that you don't necessarily love, but since he's on our team, we'll take it. And it's interesting that Karinchek gets the pitch. The eighth inning again. I mean, since he's come back, right? It was a little bit of a struggle at first to find things. Uh, but since he's been back, uh, he has settled down. His ERA is at 198. He's getting strikeouts again. And Karinchek gets to pitch the eighth inning again. He gets his setup rolled back. We'll see if that's a permanent change 
or if it's just how it worked out on the day. Um, now, you know, I watched, uh, man, I watched an interesting video uh, flipping around YouTube. There's a YouTube channel called, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to blank on the name, and I apologize, but they did a video about basically how sticky stuff might be back and baseball might be looking the other way again because the offense is still the offensive numbers are still up there. The hit numbers haven't plummeted like they were plummeting last year. Remember last year when they instituted all that stuff about sticky stuff, you know, banning the sticky stuff and and Max Scherzer and uh other guys like dropping their pants on the mound to be inspected. Uh hits uh went up. Hits went way up and strikeouts went down. Uh, because of that ban on the sticky stuff and because of how hard they were looking. Well, now, man, when they put together these videos and they show you close-ups of what guys are doing on the mound, uh, going back to the hair again, touching the brim of their hat again, touching, you know, swiping under their, you know, thigh, uh, on the back of their thigh again, uh, the sticky stuff might, maybe, maybe not in the same way, but some sticky stuff might be back in the game. And, uh, I mean, it's no coincidence that Karinchek has settled down recently. And if they are relaxing on inspecting for sticky stuff, uh, you know, Karinchek finding himself again. I, total conspiracy theory. Total conspiracy theory. But Karinchek definitely was one of the players that popped up in this video. And they he showed him, you know, reaching for something or swiping something. So, yeah, keep an eye on Karen Check out there. That's all I'm saying. Just keep an eye on what he does in between pitches. Uh, we'd like to think it's all above board, but he definitely is someone who benefited from sticky stuff in the past. Uh, you know, he does that crazy stuff, popping the ball and stuff like that in between pitches. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see him find his control again, though. It's nice to see him pitching the eighth inning again. I mean, if he... If he can settle down into that setup role, that's exactly what we were looking for at the trade deadline. So if he actually can settle into that role, then all right, cool. Hey, it works out for us. But um, yeah, it's we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on it. And then Classe in the ninth inning, uh, he does give up back-to-back doubles with two outs, which is a little bit interesting. They're both cutters. Uh, to Bregman and Diaz, and they're able to lift them in the air and get some launch angle off his cutter, which you don't see very often. You see what happened to Gurriel and Alvarez to kick off the inning and Mancini to end the game, which is ground outs. He gets three ground outs to end the game. Yeah, Classe gives up back-to-back doubles. I Honestly, I Bregman's pitch was up a little bit. Um, let's go down to the illustrator here. Bregman's pitch was all right. It was middle. It was middle of the plate. It was at the belt, uh, and he's able to lift it on an 0-0 count. Uh, Diaz's was on an 0-2 count, and it was down. It was it was buried down in the zone, uh, and he's still able to lift it. So it's surprising there uh, that he's able to get some air on that and and lace a double out there and bring Bregman into score. So that's how they get their one run off a of Classe. But then he's able to settle down and he gets the ground out of Mancini. To end the game. So it's a great job by the bullpen. All right. I think, oh, oh, we didn't talk about the defensive play when Karinchek was pitching in the eighth inning. Oh my God, how did I leave this out? Uh, Ahmed Rosario played some really, really good defense and they talked about it in the post game show. 
Uh, he did an unassisted double play where he, you know, grabbed one up the middle, stepped on second, fired to first, which is a really nice play. And then in this eighth inning, uh, there's a ball hit to his right, and he ranges way to his right, and he jumps. He makes a spin throw. He jumps and spins and throws the first, and Naylor makes an amazing scoop on the ball. It's a strong throw from uh, Rosario. Naylor with the great finish at first base. It is very Derek Jeter-esque. I mean, that was the infamous Jeter play, was the going to his right, the jump throw, uh, you know, Omar Vizquel, it was more up the middle. It was the dive up the middle and then throw, or the barehanded charge and throw. That was more Vizquel's signature move. You gotta give Cheater credit for the big jump throw ranging to his right, and that's exactly what Ahmed Rosario pulls off in this game. Uh, so it was a really huge defensive play in that eighth inning for Karinchek, and Rosario has been playing some pretty solid defense. I mean, when you heard Terry Francona talk about him in the postgame show, he was not getting traded. That guy was absolutely not getting traded at the deadline. Uh, that was not up for debate. It was, I mean, he was uh, he was really good, and his defense has just gotten stronger and stronger throughout the season. And uh, Francona said he's a guy you put out there every day. He's a guy you play every day. And, uh, man, they're really, really high on Ahmed Rosario. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting. To I mean, we keep talking about this. How do you keep Ahmed Rosario? Well, figure out a way to get all these young guys up here to the majors, right? Tyler Freeman can get 400 at-bats rotating through the lineup like he has been, playing every position, giving guys days off. Uh, is that the way you do it? Do you just cut in other guys at bats to get Freeman at bats? Uh, what about when uh, Gabriel Arias is ready and Rokio is ready? And oh, by the, I mean, you're uh, talking two or three seasons. You're probably talking two seasons. Then you're going to be talking about like Martinez and Jose Tania and some of the other even younger guys uh, who might be even better at shortstop than the guys in the upper levels. Like, it, it keeps getting better, the shortstops they keep bringing in. So, uh, I mean, I still would love to see Ahmed Rosario learn first base. I know it's not a traditional first baseman. You want someone who can slug over their first base. But I think, I mean, if he could play first base, if he could learn first base, it still makes a ridiculously good infield. I mean, defensively, they would be one of the best infields in baseball. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they figure out how to use all the talent they have. It's young talent, right? It's not established talent, so it is interesting. You do have to challenge it and push it a little bit. And we're seeing that with the outfielders right now. Uh, and we're going to see it when some of these younger infielders come up. But where? Where with veterans like Rosario and Jose Ramirez on the left side of the infield, where do you find... Uh, opportunities to challenge these young guys and to get them at bats and to get them experience. But it's a good problem to have. Overflowing with talent is a good problem to have. So, I mean, Rosario is our shortstop for one more season, right? He's under contract for one more season. What are they going to do? They love this guy. They love him in the clubhouse. They love his hustle on the base paths. And if his defense really is improved, what are you gonna do with this guy? Are you gonna are you gonna sign him to a longer contract? You know, it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do. I love Ahmed Rosario. I I 
honestly, you could could you be any happier with how the Francisco Lindor trade turned out? With how good Rosario and Jimenez have been this season, could you be any happier with how that trade? I mean, they always said you weren't going to get anything for him. You waited too long to trade him. You know, all that stuff. I think we got plenty for him. I mean, who knows if those two young guys that were in the trade, right? Those two low-level prospects. Who knows if those guys, was it Isaiah Green and Wolf, right? Josh Wolf. Who knows if we'll ever see those guys. But the two guys on the Major League team have definitely, I hate to say it, they've been worth the price. They've definitely been worth the price. I mean, they've been fantastic. All right, MVP on the day. I think I got to go with Cal Quantrill. I mean, just a really, really strong, solid start. Yeah, Jimenez was fantastic leading off. Rosario with two RBIs on the day. That was great to see. Uh, scored a run as well with his hustle. Jose Ramirez with a multi-hit game. Straw with a multi-hit game in the ninth spot. All very good. But the Guardians definitely don't win this one without just a rock-solid start. For Cal Quantrill, he didn't do anything flashy, uh, not a high whiff rate for sure, but very, very solid game from Cal Quantrill. So he's taking home not only the win, but MVP on the day. All right, we've got to talk about it. The last bit of Guardians news, um, they, they did something unexpected, and they designated for Mio Reyes... Uh, for assignment. They DFA'd him. Uh, and I believe they also let Bobby Bradley go. Um, so yeah, two guys that you thought could be the heart of your lineup. Um, oh man, uh, Reyes and Bobby Bradley at the start of the season, this was the power combo that was supposed to be in the middle of the lineup. And both guys are designated for assignment or released on this day. So Reyes has a chance. If nobody claims him, Reyes could pass through waivers and stay at AAA. Well, Bobby Bradley was just straight up released. Uh, So it's going to be really interesting to see. uh, What did Francona say? He was having a tough time. Uh, Has probably uh, Andy Tracy, AAA manager, has probably been with him more than anybody I think they all think just maybe a change of scenery would be really good for the kid. I'm not saying he didn't act right. He's a good kid. When I say it wasn't going good, I mean offensively. He was going to be a free agent in five weeks. Try to get him a new start. That was Francona's quote. Uh, I just literally heard that now. Um, so it is a little bit shocking. Uh, they uh, they moved Hunter Gaddis back down to AAA. They selected the contract of Jake Jewell, which meant they needed to um, find room for him on the 40-man roster. And so to do that, they DFA'd Fermil Reyes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Reyes, man, it makes you wonder what was happening. There's a lot of speculation on Guardians Twitter last night about what, what was happening in the clubhouse with Reyes. Was he not buying into Chris Valeca as the hitting coach and everything that the Guardians are trying to do? I mean, obviously, he was not a contact guy. The power wasn't there. It was a really bad season for Reyes. And we talked about this at the trade deadline. The only team that's trading for him is a team that thinks he could be a reclamation project, right? A team that's down a little bit right now that thinks maybe we can make a reclamation project out of this guy and turn up, you know, get ourselves a 30 home run guy. Well, maybe 
maybe he can return to that home run power, but man, he just was not hitting the way the Cleveland Guardians want an offensive player to be hitting. So there's a chance he sticks with the organization, but there's also a chance someone claims him and it turns into a trade or something like that, and Reyes is gone. So, man, I mean, the guy who you thought was going to be a heart of this team, your cleanup hitter for years to come, man, this season just could not get any worse for him. So, I mean, it's big news out there that these two guys uh, basically have been released or, you know, DFA'd, and... Yeah, it's a little bit shocking, but it's not that shocking the way the front office has operated this season. They just don't have patience for this stuff anymore. You need to hit. You need to produce. There's too much talent coming up behind you. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is the perfect example of this. If Ahmed Rosario was having the kind of offensive season that Fermil Reyes was having, he would have been DFA'd by now. And Tyler Freeman would be your starting shortstop. And Gabriel Arias would probably be up here. Uh, but no, Rosario has delivered. He's buying into what Valeka is selling. He is hitting the way they want a Guardians hitter to hit. And he could be with this team for a long time because of that. And Reyes wasn't. And now he's gone. And yeah, I, I'll miss the big man a little bit. Uh, I'll miss the Fran Wheels Reyes. I was joking about it yesterday, watching the game with some people, about how when he needed to go 90 feet, he could turn on the Jets and go 90 feet. Speaking of that, we didn't even talk about the fact that Josh Naylor stole a base in this game. That's what brought it up in the conversation. Uh, sometimes those big guys can just surprise you and swipe a base when you're not even thinking there's any possibility they would go. We'd seen Reyes do that before. Naylor did it in this game. So, yeah, I do have some fond memories of Fermil Reyes. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't working. It really, I mean, it really wasn't working this season. So, it's shocking, but it shouldn't be that shocking. This front office has been pretty pretty ruthless when it comes to DFA guys. Like, if you're not producing, if you're not fitting in with those Guardians hitters, we're not we're we're done. We're not waiting around for it. There's too much talent coming. So yeah, so that's some interesting. We'll keep an eye and see what eventually happens with both Reyes and Bobby Bradley, where they end up. I'm sure those guys aren't done playing baseball. I'm sure some teams will take a chance on them. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It's your Guardians four, the Astros one. Let's go even up this series let's go win this sunday game that would be huge it's a 1205 start so a really early start here and it's mckenzie on the mound against javier so uh we'll see what tristan mckenzie can do see if he can settle it down and get this series back to a split for us. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your thoughts. If you have thoughts on Fermil Reyes and Bobby Bradley being let go, let me know. Mornings at gmail.com. We'll discuss it on the, sh- on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>